0: CHAPTER NINE OF THE SILVER BULLET BY FERGUS HUME THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN HERRICK IS SUSPICIOUS Dr. Jim slept very little that night. He was turning over in his mind Joyce's strange conduct. Now that he remembered, Robin had been very particular as to the details of his whereabouts. He had gone to town on a Tuesday, leaving Herrick at the Southbury railway inn according to his story he had seen firth and firth the same afternoon and again the next morning the intervening night he had slept at the hull hotel in a side street off the strand then on wednesday afternoon he had rejoined dr jim at Southbury, and on thursday morning had started to cross the heath it was on that same night that the two had discovered the body of Colonel Carr. So far, Herrick had believed this story, but now the fact that he had not called on the lawyer had put a different complexion on the affair. Also his statement concerning the money left to him was proved, by the evidence of the solicitors who paid the annuity, to be a lie. Robin therefore had not been so deeply plunged in grief as he appeared to be when he could call a few days after his mother's death to see if he was to inherit the money. Herrick considered that probably when alone in the flat he had found some paper stating that the five hundred a year terminated at his mother's death, and he had gone to Firth and Firth in order to ascertain if this were true. Besides, his mother might have told him this on her deathbed. But what else had she told him? Colonel Carr was not the man to pay out money for nothing. Mrs. Joyce must have had some hold over him. However, the main point, and that which vexed Dr. Jim most, was the fact that Robin had not called on the solicitors as he said he had done. At Southbury, he had received a letter calling him up to town. Jim had not read the letter. But since Robin had told him the contents... He never doubted that it was from the firm of Firth. If he had not called on them, why was the letter sent? And where was he during the two days he was in town? Herrick reckoned back the dates. It was Thursday, the 26th of July, when they arrived at Saxon. Robin had gone to town on the 24th, and on that same night Colonel Carr, according to the medical evidence, had been shot. Good heavens," said Jim, when this came into his mind. "Can it be possible that Joyce killed the man? There is no reason why he should. I am a suspicious fool. He was in London, even though he did not call on the solicitors. There is no proof that he was at Saxham. He said himself, when he went through the pine wood, that he did not know the country. Then Jim recollected that it was Robin who had selected the route for the walking tour could it be possible that he knew of the existence of the house in the pine wood and had designedly led herrick that way in order that the murder should be discovered and suspicion averted from himself no no cried jim tossing and turning he could not have contrived so damnable a scheme besides he slept at the Hull hotel In this way he kept arguing out the situation, but by the morning he had come to no conclusion. The evidence against Robin was not strong enough, but while shaving, Dr. Jim made up his mind to call on Firth and Firth, and also to look in at the Hull Hotel. Nevertheless whatever he found, he was resolved to hold his tongue so far as Robin was concerned. Joyce was far too intimate with Don Manuel. To please Herrick and Don Manuel, as the doctor remembered, professed a hatred of Carr. He also might have something to do with the matter. Stephen said Herrick at breakfast, I want you to look after yourself again today. I have business to do. All right, replied Marsh. I can amuse myself. There is the National Gallery to see, and the tower, and Westminster Abbey. I should only bore you taking you to these places.' "'I'm never bored in your company,' said Jim, absently, his thoughts intent on what he had to do. But I shall be at your service to-morrow.' "'You have to see about your practice, I suppose, Herrick?' "'Yes, also some other business. How long do you want to stay in town?' "'A week is enough for the present,' replied Marsh. We came for two, did we not?' I have got all the clothes I need. They will be ready by the end of this week. Then we can go back. You want to return? Yes, I have an idea in my head. Later on, I will tell it to you. Marsh turned to ask what Herrick meant, but seeing that his friend was taken up with his own thoughts, he said nothing. After breakfast, Jim left Marsh to look over the morning paper and went out. The first place he sought out was the lawyer's office. Mr. Firth, the junior partner, received him all the more readily when he heard the name. On the previous day, Stephen had been enthusiastic on the subject of his new friend. Firth, junior, took to Jim at once. "'I'm glad to see you,' he said, pushing forward a chair. "'Mr. Marsh Carr told us all about you. I am glad he has had the good sense to select you as a companion.' He needs shaking up. Marsh is a good fellow, replied Jim, and anything I can do to make a man of him shall be done. But the material is there, Mr. Firth. Yes, but that stepmother of his did a great deal to ruin him. He could not call his soul his own. I do not think her death is much to be regretted, finished Firth with a dry smile. She was rather stormy but I think she really loved her stepson. What are you smiling at? I was recalling one or two interviews I had with the lady in question, said the young lawyer. She was, as you say, stormy. Even the colonel was afraid of her. So he sent her up to us. What did she come about? An annuity for herself and an income for her son, the present owner of the estate. Colonel Carr refused to allow her one penny. He said that he had made his will in favor of Stephen Marsh, and that both he and Mrs. Marsh could wait until his death. I tried hard to persuade him to allow her something, but he refused. Mrs. Marsh used to come up and make scenes in this office. Stormy chuckled Firth. I should think she was. What was your opinion of Colonel Carr? Well, drawled the lawyer with a quick glance, that is rather a leading question the man is dead and he was a good client to us but speaking as man to man and in confidence doctor i think he was the greatest scoundrel in the three kingdoms that's rather strong mr firth yet it falls short of the truth dr herrick however the man is dead so we may leave him at rest he met with a terrible death and his own familiar friend put an end to him The colonel had not much human feeling, but when dying he must have felt a pang at the thought that the only creature he had been kind to was putting him out of the way. "'Hm!' said Jim, using his favorite ejaculation. "'Do you believe that Frisco did kill him?' "'I do not know anyone else who could have done so. And if he did not, why did he run away? Why does he keep hidden? Yes, Dr. Herrick, I think the crime can be safely put down to his account queer man too added firth reflectively he was slangy and a good bit of a brute yet there was something of the gentleman about him he could speak good english when he chose which was not often the colonel brought him from south america did he now said firth sharply i never knew that before frisco at times came up about carr's business but he was careful to say nothing about himself he seemed fond of his master that is why it is so strange that he should have killed him but then we know that the collie which is the most faithful of dogs goes mad at times and attacks his master i expect it was something of the same kind with frisco do you know how the colonel made his money asked herrick "'No, nor does any else that I know of. "'I am certain of one thing, "'that it was made in some shady way. "'Carr was an out-and-out bad lot, "'a kind of Captain Kidd. "'Strange that you should mention his name "'in conjunction with Kidd. "'He had a treasure likewise, had he not?' "'What do you mean by had a treasure likewise?' "'Herrick considered a minute before replying. "'As a rule... He was not a man given to loose-speaking, and preferred to do his own work without the assistance of anyone. But he saw that Firth was a shrewd and capable man, and that, in case of need, his advice was not to be despised. So far as Joyce was concerned, Jim did not intend to say anything at present, but he was not yet sure of his ground, and even had he been sure he would have hesitated to betray his friend, however guilty he might be. Concerning Don Manuel, he had no such scruples. So he then and there told the lawyer all that had passed at the flat. Firth listened attentively, but seemed in no way astonished. It is the sort of thing one would expect from Carr, he said. The man was a bad lot, and I dare say, if we knew all the details of that expedition, we should find it less innocent than this mexican has depicted still leaving the man amongst the indians was bad enough so that was how he made his money i always knew it was not made in any respectable way few fortunes are said herrick dryly that is true but some methods may be more damnable than others as in this case carr i know went away many years ago as poor as a rat. I've heard my father speak of him. He came back ten years ago with no end of money. We helped him to invest it. As the income is eight thousand a year, Dr. Herrick, you may guess what the principle amounted to. Treasure hunting sounds innocent enough, even romantic. But in Carr's hands I can guess what a piece of rascality it was. The man could not run straight. If there was a possibility of going the wrong way, he took that in preference to following the right path. Still, said Herrick, approaching the main object of his visit, the man had some good points. For instance, he was charitable to Mrs. Joyce. Of West Kensington, said Firth with a stare, how did you know about her? Joyce is a friend of mine. I was with him on a walking tour when he received your letter asking him to call nonsense we never wrote the man a letter in our lives not on or about the twenty-third of july no i am positive i should have known it is true that he called to see us a few days after his mother's death about the annuity which carr ordered to be paid to mrs joyce he wanted to know if he would have it also we communicated with colonel carr who replied in his characteristic way that joyce could go to the devil afterwards joyce called a second time and we told him the message the second time was on the twenty-fourth of july no it was toward the end of april we have not seen him since nor as i say have we written him any letter this concise explanation showed herrick that robin for reasons of his own had told a deliberate lie Whatever he had come to London about, it was not to see the solicitors, as he had alleged to Herrick. Dr. Jim pulled his mustache reflectively. Why was an annuity paid to Mrs. Joyce? I don't know, replied Firth, and even if I did, it would be a breach of professional etiquette to tell you. A year after the Colonel came back to England, about nine years ago, he ordered my father to send a monthly check to Mrs. Joyce at an address at hampstead she sent a receipt every time but she never came to see us and we had absolutely nothing to do with her when she changed her address which she did several times she notified the fact and we sent her allowance to the new place that is all i know of the annuity and as i say the colonel stopped it when she died what it was for i don't know The colonel was dark in many ways. "'He was evidently a most dangerous person,' said Herrick, rising to take his leave. "'However, he has received the reward of his crimes. "'By the way, I suppose all the business of Marsh is in your hands?' "'Yes, it is all in order. "'The colonel was a most methodical man, "'and he left his estate in the best of conditions. "'We are now arranging for letters patent,' for this change of name our client has arranged to call himself marsh carr i suppose he did not like the idea of carr alone can you wonder at it considering the reputation of the name no not a very nice name to give one's wife laughed firth rising well good-bye dr herrick i am glad to have seen you and still more glad to think that our client has so excellent a friend at his elbow herrick laughed at this praise and departed very pleased that he had been received in so friendly a way he fancied at one time that firth might have looked upon him as an interloper and it was a great compliment to him that these shrewd lawyers should be so satisfied with stephen's choice of a friend from the city herrick went to the strand in search of the whole hotel he was now very doubtful of Robin's honesty. If the man had lied in one thing, he would in another. Jim was quite prepared to find that Joyce was not known at the Strand Public House. But in this instance he proved to be wrong. Directed by a friendly policeman, he soon found the place. It was a small pothouse of anything but reputable appearance. Herrick stepped inside. And was confronted by a stout woman with a squint in answer to his inquiry for the landlord she announced that the house belonged to her and demanded his business herrick seeing the necessity for caution went about his task in an artful way there was a friend of mine who stayed here on the night of the twenty-fourth of july last he said wrote to me from this place on that date and as i have received no letter since i have come to inquire if he is still to be found here what is his name sir mr robin joyce don't know it grunted the landlady robin joyce she rubbed her nose and then shouted tilda do you know a party has stayed here called robin joyce look up the books twenty-fourth july a smart-looking girl dressed in a tawdry manner made her appearance and requested her mother the stout lady was her mother it appeared not to make such a noise then she addressed herself to herrick i need not look at the book sir i remember mr robin joyce quite well a little man is he not clean-shaven with rather long hair and big big black eyes nervous manner sir that is him replied herrick thankful to hear that his friend was known at the address he had given he slept here on the night of the twenty-fourth of july beg your pardon sir but he did nothing of the sort he came here after midday with a black bag and engaged a room then he went out almost at once promising to be back to dinner it was ordered but he never came no sir i did not see him until midday next morning you are certain he did not sleep here on that night quite certain sir you remember mother He told both of us, when he came back, that he had been staying with a friend. Yes, I remember now. Then he paid his bill and went away to catch a train, he said. The Paddington train put in the daughter. I heard him tell the cabby to drive to Paddington. Herrick thanked the two women for their information, and asked if Mr. Joyce had been there since. Both were positive that he had not. I saw him only once, sir, and he did not sleep here, were the last words of the daughter. So Herrick departed fully convinced that Robin had told him a second lie. Naturally, the little man never thought that anything would happen likely to induce Herrick to make inquiries, nor would such have been the case but for Stephen's remark about the annuity. The question now, said Herrick to himself, is whether he was at Saxon on that night, If I can prove that, then he shook his head and acknowledged that things were beginning to look black against Joyce. For the moment he almost made up his mind to go at once to West Kensington and tell Joyce the whole story, demanding, at the same time, an explanation of these apparently unnecessary lies. But on second thought, he resolved to wait until he could make certain that Joyce had gone down to Saxon. "'Robin would probably take the afternoon train to Beorminster. "'In that case, however, he would have had to change at Southbury Junction, "'and as Herrick was at the junction, he might not risk doing so. "'There was Heathcroft, of course. "'That was six miles from Saxon and could be reached by another line. "'He might have gone that way and walked the six miles. "'But I cannot say anything for certain until I make inquiries,' thought Herrick and so resolved to wait until he returned to the pines with Marsh. The next two or three days Herrick spent with Stephen. Not a word did he say about the business he had been employed upon. He did not even speak of Joyce. tried not to think of him, but gave himself up to the enjoyment of the moment. Owing to his recent bereavement, Stephen would not go to any theatre, but the two managed to find amusement in exploring London with the greatest of good humor herrick permitted himself to be dragged to the tower the abbey and to several other places which stephen had already visited also there was much shopping to do clothes to be tried on and all kinds of fascinating things to be bought stephen purchased a selection of presents for the biffs and made herrick help him to choose them they arranged to go back at the week's end when the Pines would be ready to receive them. "'I expect it is all in order by this time,' said Stephen, "'and Ida promised to see after the servants for me. Bess is superintending the whole business. I have told her to do exactly as she pleases, and there is nothing she likes better. We shall find the place in apple-pie order when we go back.' "'Why do you not marry Miss Bess?' said Herrick, laughing. "'I like Bess very much but she is not the wife for me said stephen seriously ida is better suited to me herrick felt a pang of jealousy what chance had he against this wealthy favourite of fortune then he rebuked himself for the ungrateful feeling and swore that if he saw the least love existing between marsh and ida that he would at once crush down his own passion as yet as he had told joyce it was not very strong, but in the sunshine of Ida's beauty and charm, it might easily assume gigantic proportions. If it did, and Stephen loved her, why then good-bye to his income For Herrick felt under the circumstances, the situation would be so unbearable that he would be forced to leave Saxon if Stephen would only say definitely if he loved the girl, Herrick would know how to act at the present he was quite in the dark still until he could be quite sure he judged it wiser to hold himself well in hand later on it occurred to him that he would see joyce and ask him to come down to saxham if he had really committed the murder and of this there was yet no proof he would naturally refuse to come on the other hand he might dare as much however on the whole as straws show which way the wind blows, and he knew what a nervous man Joyce was, Herrick thought he would be able to decide by his manner if he really had any dislike to Saxon. He therefore one afternoon went to West Kensington. By this time he had settled with Grant about his practice, and arranged the manner of payment. His sole business was with Robin, and he went at once to the mansions the servant said that mr joyce was absent but was expected in soon and that another gentleman was waiting in the drawing-room to see him herrick had his suspicions at once and was not at all surprised to meet the smiling face of don manuel santiago ah you have come to see our friend said the mexican shaking herrick's hand in the most hearty manner i also he will be back shortly how are you don Manuel?" said herrick politely well i hope the speech was obvious but the fact is herrick was observing the mexican from under his eyelids when santiago thought himself unobserved he stole glances at his visitor apparently he had neither liked nor trusted herrick the doctor wondered what bond bound robin and this scamp together joyce was a scamp also and worse if his visit to Saxon could be proved. Manuel answered the inquiry with a careless speech and a puzzled look, evidently wondering why it was made. After a time he began to walk restlessly about the room, exclaiming that he wanted a cigarette, and he had exhausted his own. Herrick politely offered his case, as he wanted to put the Mexican at ease and get him to speak, in the hope of learning something from him but Don Manuel refused the offer. I smoke only my particular kind, he said. Ah, now I remember. I left some in Joyce's study. I will go and look for them. Will you come also, senor? We had better smoke in the study. Joyce does not like the smoke in this room. He cast a look around and shrugged. This ugly room, said Don Manuel spitefully. Herrick followed rather because he wished to keep the shifty creature in sight, then because he wanted to smoke. Manuel went to the writing table and shifted the papers about. He searched the mantelpiece, and then casting his eye on a tobacco cabinet, walked towards that. He had found them and put them in there, said Manuel, and pulled open several drawers. The cabinet was at Herrick's elbow, and he could see into all the drawers as the Mexican opened them. In the lowest drawer was a pistol don manuel took it out a strange place to keep a revolver he said no it is not a revolver what can it be so large so clumsy señor herrick took the weapon handed to him while manuel continued his search for the cigarettes a frightful suspicion flashed into his mind as he saw the old-fashioned weapon in the mexican's hand he remembered that the death wound had been inflicted by a roughly cast bullet and that at the inquest it was said such had been fired from an antique pistol here was the very thing in his hand an old pistol silver mounted and clumsy in the extreme the muzzle was large and could well fire the big bullet that had passed through the heart of carr to bury itself in the opposite wall and this was in joyce's house herrick felt sick Manuel turned to him with a shrug. There are no cigarettes here, he said. Joyce has smoked them. Senor, you look ill, pale. It is nothing, replied Herrick, replacing the weapon in the cabinet. I am subject to attacks of faintness. I think, Don Manuel, that you had better say nothing to Joyce about our finding that pistol. He might not like us to be prying into his cabinet. As you please, said Santiago, with a shrug but Joyce would never be angry with me. "'What is the pistol, senor?' "'Oh, some old-fashioned weapon that Joyce brought in a curiosity shop very probably,' replied the doctor carelessly. "'It certainly is not the kind of thing one would use.' "'No,' replied Don Manuel, equally carelessly. "'An ugly thing. I will say nothing. A cigarette? Senor, I will take one of yours. "'Ah, there's my dear friend Joyce.' while the mexican was lighting the cigarette robin entered and greeted herrick rather stiffly it was all jim could do to bring himself to shake hands with a man he now believed to be a criminal yet in spite of all he had learned in spite of the discovery of the old-fashioned pistol he could not yet bring himself quite to believe in robin's guilt he still hoped for the best and talked easily enough "'How pale you are, Jim,' said Joyce abruptly. "'What is the matter?' "'I am so much of a countryman now "'that London does not agree with me.' Joyce laughed at the joke. "'I prefer London myself.' "'That is a pity,' said Herrick, "'for I am returning to Saxham tomorrow, "'and I want you to come down for a few days next week.' "'I shall be delighted,' said Robin at once. "'I can put up at the Carr Arms. "'I do not know Marsh, you know.' i dare say when he meets you he will ask you to stay at the Pines," said herrick but you will come down robin i have seen so little of you and i do not want our friendship to end so abruptly certainly i will come with pleasure replied joyce so warmly that herrick's heart smote him for his treachery but when he remembered how joyce had deceived him how he had led him to the very house in which to all appearances he had committed a crime the doctor's heart grew hard and he was quite prepared to play his part and trap this man he was now beginning to regard robin as a little reptile extremely dangerous who needed to be crushed i shall come next week said joyce gaily and if marsh likes me he may as you say ask me to the pines you might come also manuel perhaps if i have a day to spare said the mexican i should like to see the place where my dear friend Carr died. He glanced at Herrick as he spoke, but the doctor was not attending to him and did not see the look. Tea was being brought in, and Herrick wanted to get away at once. He felt that knowing what he did, he could never break bread with Robin again. He fervently hoped that the man was innocent, but things looked black. I must go now, Robin, said Herrick hurriedly. Remember you must come i promise won't you have tea no thanks marsh expects me good-bye until we meet at saxham don manuel adieu till we meet at saxham said the ready foreigner and herrick hurried out of the room and down the stairs not until he was in the train did he remember that he should have been wise enough to have secured the pistol as evidence but he may not be guilty after all said jim hopefully His heart told him that he was wrong. The circumstantial evidence was too strong. End of chapter 9